Hello, and welcome to Out Loud. Today on the show, we have Amber Cantorna. Amber is a national speaker and author. As a leader dedicated to supporting LGBTQ people throughout their coming out process, Amber uses her platform to inspire others and works to dissolve shame, foster self-acceptance, and generate a message of love and inclusion for all. Her family worked for Focus on the Family when she came out, which is the subject of her first book, Refocusing My Family. But when I saw her recently speak at the Q Christian Conference, or QCF, she was talking about her new book, Unashamed, a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians. In it, she tackles wonderful topics like finding an affirming faith community, deciding when and how to come out, and how to reestablish a relationship with God. Our conversation covers resources for coming out, understanding how loss and grief are incorporated in the coming out process, and also a new self-care tip called floating that might just be your new favorite spiritual practice. You don't want to miss this interview. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to say a big thank you to our Patreon supporters who are helping finance the production of this new season. At just $15 a month, you can get exclusive access to unedited episodes of shows just like this one. If you can give even just a dollar or share the link with a friend, it really goes a long way and it is much appreciated to help keep Out Loud going. All of that can be found at patreon.com slash outloudstories. And now, let's hear from Amber Cantorna. And so, yes, yeah, so I've been reading your book, and um, and what I really love is that, and what I've noticed kind of throughout it is that you are giving folks language um, of of how to know what's um, what to what to expect when um, when they come out, and you're also encouraging folks, I think, to to stay safe and to make sure they have a good support system in place. And I just really wish I had this book when I came out. <laughs> so thank you for writing this and um, and thank you for um, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. So a place where I want to start, you're you're really clear in this book that um, that you're not tackling the clobber passages in the Bible that people use um, against uh, the LGBT community. Um, but instead, I feel like kind of what you're getting at in with the title of being unashamed is um, this idea of kind of more of like a pastoral care approach and um, and how do you take care of yourself and um, and your spiritual life too when you come out. Um, and you weave in your story with these suggestions and that's kind of a place I want to start. And so um, with this being a show about faith and sexuality, could we start off by you um Tell me how you identify in the LGBT community and also how you identify in your faith community. Sure. Um, yeah, I would identify as gay. I've been married to my wife for almost five years. And um, I would identify right now, I guess, as progressive Christian. Um, and I think that kind of even, I don't know, I feel like even that term Christian sometimes has such a derogatory connotation to it. Um, but I love kind of seeing what's happening with the more progressive movement and the way people are redefining faith. And that's something that I continue to do in my own life as well. So I think it's a continual process. And when you say progressive Christian, what does that mean as far as like a worship space for you? Or how do you express that? Um, well, for me, I think it's been 
a, an evolving process, you know, I, I, as for many of yeah. us that come from a conservative faith background, I think when you have 30 years of um, bad theology under your belt, you will probably forever be kind of deconstructing um, those thoughts, those beliefs, um, those patterns, and kind of remolding that into what um, is kind of a more accurate description of, of Jesus and um, I think how Jesus lived. And so that's something that I feel like I continually do. And um, that used to really frighten me, I think, because I came from a world where everything was so perfect and uh, packaged in this little box and lived inside this little bubble and you just didn't question anything, right? And so mm-hmm. stepping outside of that was a very scary thing for me. And yet it's also ended up to be one of the most liberating things for me. And um, it doesn't scare me anymore. I find it actually quite freeing and liberating to be able to ask questions and to wonder and to doubt and to say that I don't really know what I think about that and to be okay with that and not feel that fear of like um, needing to have that sense of certainty underneath me. Um, It's become a very kind of liberating space. And I've really enjoyed getting to know other people that are kind of more on that progressive Christian spectrum um, because I find that they have so much depth. Uh, You don't just end up there. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have walked a journey to get to that place. And it's usually a hard journey. And so these people have depth and they're raw and they're real and they're vulnerable. And um, that's been a really rewarding thing for me to be able to engage with people on that level and um, find people that engage with faith on such a deep level. Totally. Now you mentioned certainty and, and you mentioned that in your book as well as kind of a defining factor for the faith that you grew up in. Um, For folks that um, haven't read your your first book um, or aren't familiar with your your background. Can you say a little bit about kind of what it was like being raised in a family and faith background that was so grounded in that certainty? I think it meant that my world was so small. You know, um, mm. my dad has worked at Focus in the Family for over thirty years, and he continues till to to work there um, even now, and so our world was grounded in, in Colorado Springs in focus on the family in those conservative Christian values. Um, I was homeschooled. I was raised in the purity culture. So all those things really influenced me and my worldview. And really my parents worked hard to kind of keep me safe and sheltered in that Christian bubble, which meant that I wasn't really exposed to any diversity at all. And so our world was very small. Our worldview was very small. It's very much a black and white of um, we are right and they are wrong. And we, you know, we, we know the right way to, to be a Christian and we need to convince others to follow in these footsteps. And so it was, even, you know, even the relationships you had and the way you interacted with people, everything was, I, I talk about this in my first book of like, everything was to quote unquote, be a blessing to them, um, which kind of just was like the insider's language for like making them come to your side or, or, you know, convince them to become more um, of a, of a, of your kind of Christian, um, because your kind was the only kind and the only right kind. And so it was just a very, um, it was a small worldview and it was one that had kind of a caveat of this, um, conditional love, I think, even though they don't necessarily say it that way, um, Mm. that love does come with a, with a caveat, with, with a condition on it. And so even though they preach unconditional love and they say God has unconditional love when it comes down to it, that's not really the case. And there's actually quite a few conditions 
for being accepted into that group. And so I think that really influenced um, not only my family, but obviously my own journey of coming out as well, um, heavily, very heavily in, in how that played out in my life. Yeah. And could you talk a bit about that, what your experience was like coming out in your family um, in that kind of conditional love setting? Yeah, it was um, not a good one. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, like I, I knew that it was not going to go great. You know, when your dad has been an executive at Focus on the Family for 30 years, you know, the result's not going to be like, oh, yeah, we're so happy for you. You know, like it's not going to be this celebratory thing. Um, but I think mm-hmm. I had hoped that they would, I guess, work a little harder to try and understand me and my point of view and my experience and the journey that I had been on. Um, but instead it just ended up tearing my family apart. And, um, you know, when I came out to my family, we had been so close all my life, you know, the focus on the family, family, the kind of homeschool family that everybody looked up to. And within an instant of speaking those words, um, our relationship was forever changed and it was never the same. And, uh, there was a lot of very hurtful conversations where they compared me to, to murderers and to pedophiles and to bestiality and, um, told me they felt like I had died and how dare I do this to the family and how selfish I was and, um, took away my keys to their house. And I mean, it was just devastating, you know, to, to go from having this family that you had been so close to all your life to just being completely shut out. And so that was, it was just, I don't know. I mean, devastating, I guess, is the word, you know, it, it went so much, um, so much worse than I guess I had hoped for. Um, and yet I think mm-hmm. in the pit of my stomach, like I just, this fear resided in me. Like I know so many people continue to feel of, um, the what ifs and what's going to happen when I speak this truth. And so it definitely, um, changed my life forever. And I lost, you know, not just my immediate family, but the majority of my extended family and my friends and my hometown, my church, you know? And so it really, it was a huge, massive loss. Um, and something that even, you know, it's been almost seven years that I've been out, but it's, you know, that, that loss never really goes away. It never really, um, you kind of just learn to carry it with you, you know? Um, and yet I will say I would never trade it for anything in the world. Um, and, and I think that's the, the thing that I tell people the most is that, Mm. um, it may cost you greatly and yet I still encourage you to do it. Um, because it's, it's the most freeing Mm -hmm. thing. It's the most rewarding thing. I would never go back to the life that I had before, even if it meant getting all those people and all those relationships back, I would never do it because, um, I felt so suffocated all the time. And to finally be free and to be able to live that truth, um, there's just nothing greater than that. Amen. Yeah, I feel I felt the same way after I came out. Yeah, <laughs> it was just this like this burden lifted, and for me, it was in this extremely compressed period of time mm-hmm. um, between like coming out to myself and then probably less than a month after that just about a month after that, I went on my first date and I'm a terrible liar. I was very close to my family physically at the time, mm-hmm. like geographically mm-hmm. yeah. and going to church with them on Sunday. And I was like, I can't avoid the question of like, what are you going to, what did you do this weekend? Right. Without, I mean, you can only like, do that for so long, right? You can only wear that mask and live that double life for so long. So 
Yeah. And I, and so I ripped the bandaid and I just told them right out the gate practically. Um, I mean, confiding in some other friends first, but it was, um, it was a really accelerated process and I can't imagine, um, what I know so many other people have gone through where it's something that they've known and held tightly for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and just the, the, and and the the concealing and the secrecy that that has to come with that. Um, yeah, and it's so yeah. exhausting, and that plays out right. in your physical and emotional health over time. Absolutely. You know? And so, yes, it may come at a cost, but the cost is still worth it. I believe um, to to be free and to be able to be who you were meant to be. Yeah. What were some resources that you were able to turn to when you came out to your family? Well, not the resources we have today. Certainly. You know, yeah. I, uh, the resources that have come out in the last five to seven years since I came out have been, I mean, it's just exploded. There's so much more available yeah. now than there was when I was coming out. And I'm so grateful for that, for all the people now walking this road. Um, at the time, I there was not even very many books out on resolving like your faith and sexuality, you know, like we have now, mm-hmm. there's a number of great books like that now that um, like Colby Martin's on clobber or David Gushy changing our mind or, you know, we've got a, a huge repertoire now that we can offer people that wasn't available um, when I was coming out. And so I did the best that I could with what I could find to kind of reconcile those things. Uh, I put myself in therapy, which I highly recommend. Yeah. I think it's a great thing for anybody when you have something that is feels so in conflict with one another to be able to have a safe space to go process that and and find peace and be able to resolve those things. Um, and finding an affirming church was really pivotal for me. Yeah. And that was something that I was able to do at the time. And I highly encourage people to do prior to coming out, if at all possible, because that supportive community will carry you through the hard times to come. And mm. so that's something I really emphasize a lot, um, especially in this next book. Um, this, this new book is finding that affirming community ahead of time so that you have that support system beneath you uh, as you get ready to walk the coming out process. Yeah. I think that's so important. That's something I know I wish I had. And Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm Roman Catholic in background, and so it's it's t- taken me a long time to say, all right, I'm going to step into a church that's affirming instead of this Catholic church I've been going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually something you encourage in the book is like, try a new church, try a new denomination if that's what you need to do. Yeah, and it may be a good fit, and it may not, you know. But you just keep looking until you find something that works, and maybe it works for a time. You know, maybe you go. And it feels like a good fit and it gives you what you need for that season. And then this mm-hmm. next season of life comes and you end up finding a different faith community. This, you know, but I, yeah. I encourage people to try different things and to find that, um, that space. Cause even if it's a different style of worship than what you're used to, the support is so critical and will make all the difference for you in that coming out time period. Yeah. I was just talking with someone in town yesterday about, something similar where you need that kind of you need that community to kind of hunker down with and who can where you can that you can be vulnerable with or as Brene Brown would say like kind of get in the foxhole with like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you need those people yeah um when at this critical time when you're coming out and yeah. then eventually you climb out you go back into the world you live in the world you be who you are amongst right. other people but you do need that that kind of that shelter just for a little while or maybe for a long while it depends on 
what's what your history is and where you're coming from but i think but uh yeah i think that's a really important um tip that and, and lesson that you're you're giving us in this in this book yeah how was you know going to um you you kind of tell the story about uh driving to denver to go to this affirming church that you found before coming out to your family and i've um i've had the experience of of kind of uh, going to church, I think f- for me and maybe for others, that experience is, is potentially a lonely one. You're not necessarily bringing a friend with you. You're mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. venturing on your own into yeah. that pew, yeah. finding a spot there by yourself. Um, and that's very different from going with your family growing up. And you just kind of feel like you belong because you you have your people with you. How were you able to plug into that church on your own? Well, I think it was really the um, overwhelming compassion of the pastor at the church at the time. Um, Mm. He just was so, he was a straight white male, but he was so um, compassionate when I, because I reached out to him just as kind of like a last resort. Like, I don't know what else to do. And I'm just going to try this because I, I feel so hopeless that I need something to, to hang on to. And so I emailed him kind of as just a last resort and the compassion that I received, I didn't really, I, I don't think I really even expected to get a response in return at all. Um, Cause I had come from a 14,000 person mega church that, you know, <laughs> you just, you send something off into cyberspace, it never returns to you, you know? And so yeah. when I sent this email to this pastor and within two or three hours got this response, um, I was shocked. And then I was just so overwhelmed by the love and the compassion and the embrace that I, the warmth that I felt from him. And he invited me and said, please come and I will connect you with somebody that will sit with you and will take you to lunch and will show you around. And, um, you know, at first I'm like, is he serious? Like, like who, you know, like who is this guy? And, and he did. And so these people kind of just took me under their wing and helped connect me. And I think that was really a huge, um, save my saving grace because it Mm. allowed me to connect with other people. And I remember thinking to myself, like, who are these people? Cause they're like, well, if you come up to Denver, you can stay with us. And and I'm like, I just met you five minutes ago and you're inviting (laughs) me to come stay at your house. Like, who are you? You know? And they were just the most warm, welcoming, genuine people. And that really uh, saved me in the months to come. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's something that I always try to extend to other people that are new when they're, when they're um, not even at a church, but even at like a conference like QCF or you know, like, it's intimidating to come there by yourself. And yet people do it because they're so desperate for hope, you know, and for a lifeline. Um, but it's very overwhelming and intimidating to do that on your own. And so I always try to make them feel very warm and welcome and, and included and connected because um, it was my saving grace. And I know it, it can be for them too. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. How do you, how are you able to practice that now? I mean, do you, um, is that just kind of a, a, you know, a nice hello to anyone who kind of sits in the pew next to you or do you, do you do anything else? Um, a lot of it comes through the work that I do as an author and speaker, you know, people right, will right. reach out to me and, um, when I'm in their town, I will reach back out to them and say, Hey, come join me at this event. Or if I have time, let's get together. Or, um, you know, uh, why don't you come to QCF and I will connect you with people and I will sit with you. And, you know, and so I try to do that in whatever way I can to get people connected to the right resources and then to really 
really connect them, you know, not just, oh, here you go, but like, let me connect you with this individual that's going to help you feel at home. And so I try to do that in as many practical ways as possible. When um, QCF was here in Denver last year, um, we hosted like a dozen people in our home and they were almost all people that couldn't have afforded to come otherwise, you know, and it was just great to be able to connect them and to connect with them and to give them a place of belonging. And um, it was just really neat to be like, I think this would really help you. Why don't you come and, uh, and try this out and see if this, this gives you a place to call home, you know? So I, I, I've tried to do it in whatever practical ways possible. That's great. That's really great. And I'm sure you've gotten um, just in, through the nature of your work, kind of an outpouring of of responses and people looking for for resources. So that's that's good that yeah. you're able to kind yeah. of receive I them to get that them on. Yeah. all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What um, now? Something that you um, that you get into right at the beginning is kind of what is shame and what is that experience of of shame. Um, can you, can you kind of outline, you talk about the difference between shame and guilt. Um, and can you kind of explain for us just how they're, how they're different? Well, I'm no Brene Brown. <laughs> she does it much better than I do, which is why I reference her a lot. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm a huge fan, but I think her work and this work intermingle a lot yeah. um, because internalized homophobia is really shame at the core, you mm. know? And we're taught to be ashamed of who we are from our infancy, really, um, especially when we don't see ourselves reflected in our immediate family, which um, is not usually the case for LGBT people. And so that kind of those seeds of shame root in you from a very young age. And then you also don't see it reflected in your faith community if you're not in an affirming church. And so you just get these messages that there's something wrong with you and there's something bad about you. And that internalizes. And then you start to feel shame about who you are. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Mm-hmm. I am bad at the core. Mm-hmm. And we carry that with us like who we are is bad. Um, and so in Unashamed, the new book, I really hone in on starting from that place Uh, because until you've taken away and dismantled that internalized homophobia, you can't really accept who you are and you can't celebrate who you are in the family of God and the beautiful diversity that you bring to that family. Um, So I really start from that place of, of taking a look at what that shame is and where that comes from um, so that you can in turn then begin to embrace and celebrate yourself um, before you even move towards coming out, you know, it's, it's the coming out to yourself and embracing yourself before you come out to others. Mm. I'm curious too, like, so something I've noticed in the Catholic church, especially, um, is that shame comes very quietly. Is there, is there something to look for in the silence as far as what's, what's shaming us when we are, are coming out? Well, I think you're right that shaming others can be very subtle. Mm -hmm. You know, I I talk about in that opening chapter about the difference between like subtle and obvious homophobia, Um, because you don't always have to say it out loud or make a homophobic comment or statement for people to know that you're not accepting of them. 
Um, sometimes it's in the way that they approach you. It's in the way that they introduce you and your partner. Mm -hmm. It's in the way they do or do not acknowledge your gender identity. It's, you know, it's these subtle things that communicate. I am, or I am not okay with who you are. And so whether they say it blatantly or not, that message is received. And I, I think if we don't name it, if we don't recognize it and, and label it for what it is, we then internalize that as well and continue to kind of build up that shame reservoir yeah. in us rather than, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than quieting that and calling it what it is, then kind of pushes that away from us and diminishes that shame reservoir. So I think people need to be aware of it more than anything to, to recognize it and name it for what it is so that they don't internalize it subconsciously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another big point that, that stood out to me reading your book was, um, and you mentioned this a little bit ago, um, but looking at coming out as, as a, um, as a loss and kind of processing it as grief. And you actually do, I, I think you do a wonderful job um, walking through different stages of grief and different sayings that you, that you might say to yourself coming out, but then a family member might say to you coming out. Um, but I'm just wondering, can you, um, can you define a bit of, of what that grief looks like for folks when they come out? Cause I think that was a surprise to me, um, when I came out, it wasn't something I expected. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of different kind of grief and loss that you can experience. It's a spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for some it's more severe than others, but it's not just, um, the loss of, of relationships. It certainly can be, um, but it can also be the loss of privilege or the loss of safety, um, or the loss of belonging and feeling like you have a place, um, to belong and call home, whether that's a faith community or, or a family structure. Um, it could be the loss of your job or your ministry or, um, I mean, it, it comes in so many different forms. And so that's why I try to kind of make people aware of that ahead of time to kind of take an inventory of uh, these different places in their life that it could impact. Um, and, and it won't for everyone, um, but for many, it, it it can in so many different areas. And so kind of preparing yourself for that ahead of time and and having the needed tools and support system in place to be able to kind of weather that. Um, because it is a process of being able to kind of grieve and let go. And is, sometimes I think it's a continual process. It's not like you arrive and like, oh, I grieved that and I have mm -hmm. arrived now and everything is mm -hmm. okay. You know, like you continue to kind of grieve and um, and it's a teeter-totter some days of, of grief and acceptance and um, grief and, and joy or relief that you're not having to hide anymore or, you know, and, and I think those things kind of keeping those in balance, um, is something that we learn to do as LGBT people of faith. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it was grieving, um, vocation in some ways, or at least in the mm -hmm. Catholic church, yeah. grieving, um, yeah. A, a call to ministry there. Um, yeah. and then, I th and then I know for my family, it was or very early on. It was this, um, it was a grief of, of not having grandchildren 
that really hit them. And mm. then and then once they vocalized that, then I said, well, you know, adoption's an option, and there are, there are other ways we can invite people into this family. Um, but it was the grief of of not having a biological um, grandchild that that I think hit yeah. them surprisingly hard too. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there's I think it goes into so many different facets, yeah. you know, and it's different for different people and what they feel and what they experience is different. And um, I think that just uh, yeah, those are things you process and you grieve together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned how your relationship with your family completely changed after coming out. Were there other things that you found you had to grieve in addition to that? I think I've had to grieve and am still working through it. Um, Working through the loss of, um, I guess like music and worship as I knew it. Um, and I, music was a very big part of my life growing up. Worship was a very big part of my life growing up. Um, like worship music. Um, it was very much how I connected to God. And that was something that I felt was almost kind of, uh, stolen from me when I came out because, um, you know, I was no longer welcome in that church space. I would no longer be allowed to lead worship in the capacity that I previously had. Um, you know, those those dreams and desires and things that I really loved and enjoyed and felt connected to God through um, were were taken from me. And I think there was even an anger there of like, mm-hmm. you stole my connection to God. Like you, you took that from me, you know? And um, so trying to kind of grieve that loss um, it, for what it was and the way that I knew it. And then trying to reimagine like, what can that look like in the future and how can I redeem that and, and bring that back to life maybe in a different way than before, but in a way that still is, is life giving and helpful for me. And, um, I think that's something that I wasn't fully aware of even really until the last year or two mm-hmm. and that I'm trying to kind of navigate and, and figure out how to kind of bring that that back. Um, I think for me too, a big one is the loss of, of like, um, family reunions and holiday time together. That's been a big thing that I think has been one of the most difficult losses for me. It's not just the everyday interactions with family, but, but those family times that you spent together around the holidays and the, the memories and the traditions that we had created that, um, are no longer there. And so a lot of that I've had to kind of reinvent and mm-hmm. redefine what that means and looks like for my wife and I. And um, and sometimes that has meant um, we've incorporated some traditions from my past. And sometimes that means creating new traditions of our own. And sometimes that's meant opening our home to um, people. We've had like these things we call orphan Easter for anybody that doesn't have anywhere to go for the holidays and they come and spend at our house. And so that's looked different things at different times, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been very much a reimagining and redefining and, uh, of what that looks like. Yeah. I love that point. Uh, you know, just cause it, I, cause I think it's, it's a perspective of growth on this in that you, mm-hmm. you continue to grow from all your life's experiences and you draw from, from your past to, to make something new. So like, I mean, you know, 
resurrecting a holiday or 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 bringing folks together to do a tradition like that is is beautiful you actually you mentioned one um you do what's a a, a great pumpkin dinner in the fall yes <laughs> that sounds wonderful <laughs> that's something we've continued to do every year that we really enjoy um, yeah, it's been a a fun tradition that has carried from my childhood really from my early childhood years so is that just a a celebration of all things fall and pumpkin spice or yes yes <laughs> pumpkin bread stews pies all the yummy pumpkinness that fall brings <laughs> i saw that in the book and i just started laughing because that's something that it was not a, a family tradition of mine but it's something that my boyfriend and i have done ever since we got together a few years ago was oh, we how funny. have a we have we always have friends over for to celebrate fall <laughs> because he loves falls so yeah much. i love fall and too. so we do like a day of pumpkin picking and then we bring the pumpkins back to the house and we carve them and then we have this nice you know, squash themed dinner oh, and um, pumpkin muffins or, or whatever. And, um, and it, you know, the, the celebration itself kind of varies, but it almost always begins. It has become a tradition in a way of, of we're going to go get the pumpkins. Now we're going to bring them back and now we're going to <laughs> Um Yeah. And I think That's so fun. me being a divinity school student right now, you know, it, it also reminds me of ritual and, mm, yeah. um, and how important and that community. is to kind of reclaim that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because no, those are things that you would get from a a worship service, from a holy day um, on the liturgical calendar, um, mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. or what have you, that yeah. you can kind of create for yourself. Right. Um, yeah, and it's a beautiful thing to be in community with others and to be able to share those rituals and experiences together. Yeah, absolutely. And those are – and shared experiences are – um, it sounds like so simple, but those, I feel like those are harder to come by today. Mm -hmm, um, I agree. With how much, you know, how much we try to do through media, um, to, yeah. to socialize that, um, really like being the person in your friend group to invite everyone over and make a space for, for just coming together and chatting um, is like, is such a beautiful service that you can it is. provide. It is. I think that's when some of the deepest connections happen is when people gather together like that. You know, I, I had met some friends up in Canada recently on a trip and they invited us out on the dock one night to just sit and um, have like wine and cheese on the dock on this lake. And uh, we sat and just talked for hours and it was like the most spiritual experience I'd had in a long time. Cause it was just so rich mm -hmm. and meaningful and deep and open and um, vulnerable. And it was just so beautiful. And I was like, I feel like I've just had a year's worth of church. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so refreshing for my soul, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think any type of community takes intentionality. It doesn't just right, happen. Yeah. Like people have to be intentional about it and, and there's been seasons where we've had that here in Denver and then seasons where we haven't. And, um, and so I think it, anytime you want authentic relationship, it takes intentional action of, of sure. making that happen. Absolutely. How do you, how do you stay honest with yourself on that? Cause I think that's a really hard thing when you're not gathering regularly to like keep a pulse on. Yeah. Um, I get depressed when I'm lonely. So 
So then I have to like make yeah. the effort to really, you know, I, I think it, for me too, I, I struggle because um, we live kind of out of ways. We're not right in the middle of Denver. We're kind of in, out in the outskirts and um, I work a lot from home and I deal with um, chronic pain and illness. And so that often mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. isolates me if I'm not careful. And so I have to be very yeah. intentional. And those are, you know, I've, I'm kind of in this season of self-care right now where I'm recharging my batteries before I go back out on tour. And, and for me, that's looking like, um, you know, just self-care in different ways. Um, some of that's being intentional and connecting with others. Some of that's um, being intentional and taking time for myself and um, monitoring my own health and well-being. And so a lot of that is, um, I think, just me finding ways to intentionally recharge um, because mm-hmm. it's it's easy to not if we're not intentional. And um, and then it's for me, it's very easy to quickly feel isolated um, just because of my circumstances, you know. And so we have tried um, to stay connected. And I can't even say it's always been successful. You know, this, we've had sometimes this last year where we didn't feel connected at all. And that was really hard. Um, and so we try different things and like, well, what else can we look at doing that would make us feel like we belong in some kind of community? And so, um, you know, there's been seasons where that's been more successful than others, but I think finding some type of, of connection and belonging is what we as humans all need, um, on a very basic level. And, um, we, we have a sense of purpose and of community when we're, when we're doing that. So, I think it's intent. Yeah. It's important for all of us to do that in whatever way is most fulfilling for us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What, um, you mentioned self-care. What are, what are some, what are some of your self-care strategies? My new, my newest one is, um, floating. Have you heard of this what phenomenon? Okay. I, no. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> so, I don't feel so bad because I had never heard of it either until like a month ago. I, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never heard of this thing. Um, <laughs> and then I tried it and I loved it. So it's my new self-care routine. Um, so it's like also known as like sensory deprivation tanks, but like that sounds really negative and scary to me. So they've mm. like floating is the new like positive term that people use to make it sound more inviting. But basically you go um, to these, places like you would go to a, you know, like a yoga studio or whatever, but it's, there's these floating places and it's, um, kind of this private bathtub for lack of a better word, um, where they, it's got like 1100 pounds of Epsom salt in it. And so you lay in there and you, your body actually floats like it would in like the dead sea or something. Um, but they also neutralize the temperature of the water and the air so that it's the same as your body temperature. And something about doing that, like just kind of when you finally settle in enough to, cause they, you can um, block out sound, you can block out light. So you're taking away your senses that cause you to, you know, overthink or to your mind to spin or whatever that may be for you. And you're taking all that away. And when you, your body figures out that um, it's neutralizing to the water and the air, it's kind of like everything just stops and um, your body almost doesn't exist. And so it's, it's extremely relaxing, um, like a very deep form of meditation almost. Um, yeah. But it's also very good for people with PTSD or with chronic pain and inflammation or with anxiety. And, and so it's got a lot of like both physical and emotional benefits to it. 
And so um, that has been my new hobby in the last couple months is uh, to go floating every other week. And I've only done it a few times, but every time I do it, I love it more. And uh, this one, I went this last week and it just, it became almost like a spiritual experience for me where I felt um, very, yeah, very connected to the divine in a way that I hadn't in a while because everything else is just quieted and silenced. And for Mm -hmm. that 90 minute period, nothing else exists. And so you're able to kind of open up in a way that um, the busyness of life often doesn't allow you to do. And so that's been Mm -hmm. kind of my newest um, form of self-care and therapy that I'm really enjoying uh, is just doing that every other week and taking some time away from myself, away from all the other stresses of life, you know? Yeah. So you should try it. That is fascinating. Go to a float tank near you. Now, do you, I, I take it too, like you, your hands are not um, available, so you can't be looking at your phone or anything. No, yeah, you so leave your totally phone outside. You're totally disconnected. Good. You turn okay. it all off. Does that drive some people crazy? Oh, I'm sure like, it does. Do people... I'm sure it does. The first couple times I did it, I actually had to like keep my phone close enough that I like could like see the blinking light because it was so dark that the darkness intimidated me. And um, so I was mm, like, I'm just yeah. going to keep it there so I can like see that there's light if I need it, if I get disoriented or, you know. And then by this last time, it was just like, oh, I like this darkness, actually. This is kind of calming. And, I, you know, you get used to it. You kind of have to settle into it. Um, it takes a little getting used yeah. to, but the more you do it, the more, you know, like each time I do it, it gets better. And that's what I hear from a lot of people is that um, the more you do it, the more you love it and the easier it is for you to relax. Yeah. So um, I've, I'm finding have it very you, therapeutic. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, do you, um, not to just talk about floating for the rest <laughs> of the time we're here, but um, but I'm curious, you know, because um, I, I, a, a practice that's been working for me a lot more in the last couple years has been meditation mm-hmm. and something mm-hmm. that I realized in practicing meditation more and quieting my thoughts is that for me, prayer was often a space where I would be kind of praying, but also planning and thinking mm. more than anything mm. else and just obsessing over whatever might be going on in my life. And so meditation is really helpful for me because it calms my thoughts. And in a lot of ways, it's spiritual in that mm-hmm. like by calming my thoughts, I'm kind of letting go of control. Right. I'm opening myself up to possibility right. and trusting yeah. in whatever God has in store in, in this day or in this moment. And and so I'm curious, like it, it's it's hard to build up a, a tolerance, I guess is the word you could use, but like it to um, to build up a tolerance for kind of being quiet for that long. Yeah, like, yeah it's it's um it's recommended on an app i use that like you you know start with like a five minute meditation build up to a 10 or 15 and i don't think i've ever gone past like 15 or 20 minutes Mm. um but you're talking about a 90 minute session is this something that like is that is that a practice for you meditating or was this something that you just kind of fell into meditating is a very new practice to me too it's just been in the last few months where i um have kind of taken this step back and realized that I needed some self-care and tried to like figure out what that looked like for me. And so meditation has been very new to me too. And I did the same thing. I got an app and I started with like five minutes and 10 minutes and um, was just doing it at home. And it was, you know, it's new and kind of uncomfortable and I'm trying to figure it out. And, um, but I was trying to do it, you know, every day or every other day. And Um, or at least something for myself every day, whether that was meditation or taking some time to read a book or taking a nap or something, you know, to just kind of take some time for me, um, both physically and emotionally to, to unplug. And so, um, 
so meditation has been a new practice for me too. Um, and this is, yeah, this is like an extended, like, um, like a deeper form of meditation, I guess. And, and I've, so I've only gone three times, you know, cause it's, it's just been the last couple of months and I go every other week. Um, and the first time it's a little like getting used to it and figuring it out the next time, you know, like it's so relaxing that you almost kind of, um, you probably could fall asleep if you, you know, like it, you kind of just mm-hmm. lose track of time. And the first, like, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, you're not, you're a little bit more alert um, and sometimes it's like, wow, this is going to be a long 90 minutes, you know, <laughs> but then mm-hmm. somewhere in there, you lose track of time. And then before you know it, it's over, you know, um, this, this session that I had this last week was, I think by far the most meditative and the most, um, kind of healing, like I said, almost like a spiritual experience. Um, kind of like what you mentioned where it was, um, a, a way to let go of all your thoughts and kind of open yourself up and connect with the divine on a deeper level. And, um, so for me, that gave me enough space because um, I think it takes me maybe a little bit longer to to enter into that space than a mere 10, 15 minutes a day, mm-hmm. you know, so to know that, OK, I've got this time to set aside and whatever happens, happens, no expectations. But this is my time to kind of open myself up and slow down and be intentional. And um, I don't know, it's just it, it, I found it to be very um, healing in a way, you know. Um, especially the more I do it, the more I love it. So, um, it, I think it can mean any number of things for you and maybe different things at different times that you go different days. You know, I try to not have any expectations and just go and, um, and enjoy it for what it is, whether it's just relaxing and stretching while I'm in there or whether it's, um, just meditative or whether it's more emotional or spiritual or whatever that may be. So, yeah. It's, it's my new mm. thing. I Floating. recommend it. Love it. <laughs> I think that's, I, I, I love that because I think it takes some creativity to kind of, kind of like what you were saying about tra- traditions earlier and you, and taking family traditions and reinventing them for yourself later on in life, especially after you come out and especially if your family isn't mm-hmm. with you on that journey. Um, but then it's the same for the spiritual life, you know, taking those, whether it's scripture or, um, or some kind of prayer technique or something it, that can come from a place of, of brokenness that can come from a, a community that's hurt you. But there is, it seems like we can take some of those tools with us too into mm-hmm. our own practices. And so I, and I just yeah, love yeah. discovering that. Figuring out and, what works um, for you. Yeah. Um, another question I want to ask is kind of going back to, I think for a lot of people, the, the, the answer or the, the answer we want in, um, in this paradox of reconciling faith and sexuality is, is finding a church that's affirming, um, what, um, from your experience, what, what can churches do, um, to be more affirming? How can, how can they approach the LGBT community better, um, and or how can we approach our churches better? Um, what do you think about that? That's not a big question at all. Small, <laughs> small, easy question. Yeah, I think as from coming from the church's perspective, because people will ask me that a lot when I speak is, you know, yeah. as a church, what we, can we do better to serve the LGBT community? And I think um, one of the best things you can do to make people feel safe in your church 
is to have representation in your leadership. Um, it doesn't mean flying a rainbow flag outside necessarily. I think um, having a very clear statement of your affirming stance for LGBT people is very important um, for them to see that. If I walk into a church, I immediately look for that to see if that is something that they um, have in their policies or not. To know, and that's a big indicator to me if I'm safe or not. Because um, mm-hmm. if they're affirming, I know it will be obvious. If I can't find it, that means they're probably not affirming, you know? Um, and so I look for those statements and I think those are important. And I also think having representation in your leadership, having um, LGBT people on staff and leading um, in different in leadership capacities um, allows people to see that um, it is truly accepted and normalized and celebrated within that community. Um, it, it's not enough to just have lip service and say you are welcome here. Um, they need to they need to show that um, by the diversity that they display in in who they hire and who they put in leadership. And I think that makes a really truly welcoming and um, safe place for LGBT people to go. Uh, and so that's what I most often tell them and what I have seen um, be the most successful in my experience and in those that I've met. Um, yeah. From the LGBT person's perspective, um, I am of the belief that it is important to find a fully informing church. Um, and that's something that I've taken a stronger stance on um, in more recent years because staying in a non-affirming church sucks the life out of you um, and causes you to doubt yourself and to not believe in your full worth as a child of God. And whether you realize it or not, you know, you may, oh, this is a church I grew up in and I'm just, I I love these people and they support me. Um, But if they're not fully affirming you, um, it's important to leave not only for um, for your own spiritual well-being and, and emotional well-being, but also because um, nothing is going to force them to change if they remain comfortable. And mm-hmm. so I think it's um, kind of a, a, a double-edged sword of you, you need to take care of yourself. And they also need to realize that um, being welcoming but not affirming is not good enough. And it's, it's physically taking the lives of LGBT people through suicide and it's um, spiritually taking their lives because they are um, walking away from the church or from faith altogether if they can't find a place that fully affirms them. So I've become pretty strong in my stance um, on that in more recent years. Yeah. Because I see the harm that. that it's doing from both sides. Yeah, I think that's a lesson that takes a while to learn. Yeah, it does, for sure. I know even for myself, you know, like I had been a part of this church for 14 years and I didn't want to like fully let it go. And so I would try to like kind of keep threads, you know, between us or or go back for Christmas or or visit the sister church where I live or do the, you know, but it just, it was not life giving anymore. Um, and it caused me more harm than it did good. And so I think it takes a while to learn and to get to that place, but ultimately that's, you need to be moving in that direction. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, not to harp on, on the grief point too much, but it is kind of like how grief can fester and something that's unresolved or attention that's, that's continuing in your life. If you don't address it, 
it's gonna it's gonna kind of rear its ugly head at some point <laughs> yeah. yeah like coming out like if you ignore your yeah your desires for too long like it, it might come out in the wrong way um right. in a bad situation right. and so i think but it's so easy to go to church and just kind of get into that rhythm of this is what i do on sunday i go i drive to this church i sit in this pew and yep I yep. eat this, I get this coffee and this donut and I leave. Like it's yeah. so easy to just kind of fall into that rhythm. And I, and I did not, if someone had told me that I've been like, nah, I'll, I'll have the, the, the presence to kind of slap myself out of it. But it does become this, this ritual that is hard to break. Um, yeah, it yeah. is for sure. And you don't see it when you're on that side of it, you know, yeah. on this side of it. Now I can see the harm that it's doing. But when you're on that side of it, it's hard to see it and um, and yeah. to let go. It is it is a grieving process for sure, um, yeah. just as it is for many other things. You definitely have to grieve that process. Yeah. Well, and that's so much of why I'm thankful that you've taken the time to write this book, um, because it's putting that these messages that I think are really healthy things to take into consideration um, when you're coming out that. Um, you know, sometimes you just need that that voice of reason. <laughs> They're gonna be like, "Hey, right. this is you know, this is probably a good idea. <laughs> this is um, harming you, and here's why." <laughs> right? Like, you need that friend who's just gonna straight talk what's going on with you and call yeah. you out on your BS. Yeah. And um, I feel like you're doing that for us. <laughs> so thank, <laughs> well, you. thank you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally good. Um, so yeah. So uh, before we wrap, what is kind of next for you on? Um, on your journey ahead? I will be going back on tour. Um, so I'll be traveling and speaking, doing um, both some moderated events um, open to the public and some workshop style events that actually teach this material um, to like in a three hour format um, to LGBT people of faith. So um, that is what kind of is coming up for me. And um, people can certainly go to my website, um, ambercantorna.com to find more information about the events I'm doing and where I'll be and that kind of thing. Um, they're not all uplisted yet. We're still finalizing some of the details, but they'll be up soon. So, um, they'll, and they'll continue to be added in the coming weeks as well, um, to what we currently have. So they can certainly find information there and, um, they can always find me on social media at Amber N as in Nicole, Amber N Cantorna. And um, I keep everybody pretty up to date on events and stuff that way as well. Wonderful. And they can also also find you floating bi-weekly <laughs> somewhere in Denver. At my local float <laughs> tank. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we, uh, before we wrap up? You know, I don't think so. I just, um, I'm hoping this book will really be an encouragement to LGBT people of faith. You know, it's, it takes a very holistic approach of the coming out journey and um, shares the stories, not just of my, myself, but of the stories of others that have allowed me to, to use their um, story and give it a voice and um, really compiles all the most commonly asked questions that I get um, from people on the road and tries to answer those in a very practical way. So I uh, encourage people to pick up a copy on Amazon or at their local bookstore and um, excited to hear uh, what people think of it when they get the chance to read it. So Wonderful. Well, I hope folks read it and I am so thankful for you coming on the show. Um, thank you, Amber. Thanks so much. 
A big thanks to Amber Cantorna for coming on the show today. Her new book, Unashamed, is out now. You can find it on Amazon, and be sure to leave a review and help support affirming resources like this be more visible online. A special thanks to Mike and Sharon Kubinick for their support of Season 2. They joined our Patreon page along with so many other wonderful folks. To learn more about how you can get exclusive access to unedited episodes, just visit patreon.com outloudstories. Out Loud is recorded here in Nashville, Tennessee, and is hosted and edited by me, Greg Thompson. You can learn more about the show at outloudstories.com and on Facebook and Instagram at outloudstories. On the show next week, we talk with Lena Landstrom. My, my, I was really heartbroken, not so much for myself, but so much for... I have so many friends who are very, very invested in, in the movement, more, a lot more than I am, and who have been Methodist their whole lives and for generations, and have been called to ministry in this church and who are amazing pastors. Please share the show with someone as a way to start a conversation. Thanks for listening. Go in peace.